Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, where cancer survivors, caregivers, and others touched by cancer share their stories. The Max Mallory Foundation presents this podcast in honor and memory of Max Mallory, who died at age 22 from testicular cancer. I'm your host, Joyce Lofstrom, a young adult and adult cancer survivor, and Max's mom. Hi, this is Joyce, and with me today is a testicular cancer survivor, Anthony Mastro-Giulio, and he's with us to tell his story and share some of the things that he's doing to help raise awareness about testicular cancer. So, Anthony, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I always like to start out the podcast by just asking our guests to just Tell a little bit about his story, what happened with your cancer and your journey, and so I will turn it over to you. Sure. That sounds good, and thank you again for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the podcast and to be a small part of what you're doing here. I think it's really exciting. Well, thank you. Of course. Um, so uh, my diagnosis started in February 2019, so I was diagnosed around probably the third or fourth week of February uh, I went to go for a, uh, a visit to my urologist because I, I noticed a lump on my right testicle probably around January. And the whole severity of the situation was overwhelming. So it prompted me to kind of put it aside. And I think like a lot of people would do is just to say, it's nothing. It'll go away and, and everything's going to be fine. And then, you know, as days and weeks passed, it, it, it grew exponentially and that's what really, you know, pushed me to say, okay, I need to get this checked out. Because at the time, when it was getting pretty bad, I was a senior in college. I went to Pace University in Lower Manhattan. And I was in my spring semester, and I remember taking graduation photos and just walking through the school. And in my graduation photo, it just, my face just looked really emaciated and kind of sunken in. And oh. I was like, that looks really weird. I have really dark circles under my eyes and I look drawn and I was like, okay, well put it aside and I'm walking to my next class and I hit the stairs and I could not climb more than five to 10 steps. And I was like, I need to go home and, and figure, figure something out here. Wow. Yeah. That's what really pushed me. I was like, I, I need to get this addressed. Cause at this point it was, you know, traveling, the pain was traveling up my back and down my legs and for me to not be able to do the stairs as a, I would say, pretty normally active person was really the most alarming part. I can imagine that that would be. Uh, so what happened next when you went to the urologist? So I, uh, you know, I went home and I, I spoke about it with my brother and my girlfriend. And uh, he kind of directed me towards ZocDoc and we found a urologist through there. And it's funny because I never had a urologist before, which I think is a a huge drawback for most young men and adults because a urologist is something that I personally feel that you should have in your contacts and be visiting at least every six months, if not more frequently. So for me to find this uh, urologist through ZocDoc was a godsend because the person that I found and I went to go visit, he ultimately led me into Memorial Sloan Kettering, which would later be my surgeon maybe two to three days prior uh, following my urologist appointment. So if I saw the urologist on Thursday, I was in the surgery room on Monday. Oh, that's amazing. And I also yeah. want to just comment on how you found your physician, uh, because that's, 
I've done a lot of work in health IT over my careers and my career and uh, electronic health records. And I think being able to use that system and find somebody right away. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's just outstanding that you could do that. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really spectacular. You can type in a symptom that you're feeling and they direct you to the doctor because a lot of the times when sharing my stories, a lot of the questions I have is, you know, how do you know who to go speak to if you have right. an issue with your testicle or you're feeling this type of pain? And a lot of people wouldn't know that that's a urologist situation that they deal with. Well, no, and they wouldn't. So, and I also like what you said about having a urologist as a member of your medical team. I think that's important mm-hmm. for young men. So, go ahead now. You you're at the yeah. surgery, I guess. So, so now after after my urologist appointment, we uh, I basically showed up there, and uh, if for anybody that knows me, I'm not early to anything. But this was <laughs> the one appointment that I was pretty prompt to, and when I got there, uh, he took me right in and. It was, it's uncomfortable when, you know, the physical examination is just, okay, drop your pants and we're just going to take care of this. And all right, you do that. But it all, you know, swarms into a deep severity when, you know, he examines you and then he immediately knows and you can tell like his emotions kind of flush from his face too. And, you know, I'll, I'll just never forget after that examination, he just looked at me and he said that he's 99% sure that this is testicular cancer. Mm. And all I could think of in my head is like, Oh, geez, I have school in like a couple hours. <laughs> this is going to be a rough one. <laughs> and so, you know, he uh, he sent me for some scans that I had to do. So they were, you know, your CAT scans, your sonograms, and your ultrasounds, a blood test. And he said, we'll wait for the results of those. And, you know, I'll give you a call back next week. So after that, I just, <laughs> I met up with my brother and my girlfriend, and we hopped in an Uber and, and went home. And, yep. uh it was the longest Uber ride I've ever I taken bet, in my yes. life. <laughs> and, um, and we went through with all those scans. And then by the time Monday came around, he had the results already. And he called at like 7 a.m. And he said, listen, I, I'm just calling to confirm that what I told you in the office was true. It, it proves to be uh, a testicular cancer. So we need to have this removed yesterday. And oh, wow. Literally is what he said. He said, we have to have this removed yesterday and and let's just go forward with the process and you know just get ready to go forward and that was you know at that point it really still didn't sink in yet for some odd reason because everything just happened so fast and so by the next day I I I was treated at Memorial Sloan Kettering so I I went there and, and I met my surgeon and he was fantastic he was just very clear with what the plan was and how quick it was going to be. That was a really emphatic point because he said, this is a 15 minute thing. You'll be in and out and hopefully this will be, you know, the last of it. And he was, he was very well experienced in this procedure. So that brought comfort. Right. But then he hit with the, uh, with the sentence of, so we can do this tomorrow morning. And I was like, (laughs) Oh my, I don't know about that, but we ultimately ended up doing it the next day. Uh, if it was up to me, I would have said, we could wait. I've already waited a few weeks. It'll be fine. <laughs> but my parents and my, my oldest brother came with me and he was like, let's just get it done. Let's get it out of the way. I'm like, this isn't like, you know, we're, we're planning dinner tonight. This is, <laughs> this is a big deal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but it, it, it ultimately ended up being the best decision to do it as quick as possible because as I would later learn in the process, 
the faster you you hop on this disease, the better your outcome is because it moves so rapidly. It's truly incredible how aggressive the uh, the specific tumor could be. So in in doing so with that surgery, I had the the right orchiectomy done, and I went home that day, and it was it was great because I thought you know everything was finished as to has how quick it started. Um, and I was able to go back to school the next following weeks and just kind of pick up where I left off. And it's funny how when things happen that quick, you're in shock of everything, but you immediately want to jump into, okay, well, I have this experience now. Maybe I can help other people or maybe I can so – you change your lifestyle habits. You start eating healthy. You start drinking healthier. And, and then I'm going through school and everything seems normal again. And we go for the follow-up and – my doctor told me from the surgery that he noticed that there were lymph nodes that were inflamed from the site of the incision going upwards. Oh. Yeah. And that's when he said, you know, we'll, we'll go and do some, we'll do the CAT scans. And, and uh, my blood test showed that my tumor markers at the time, I'm in no way, shape or form able to read what they meant. But from what he told me, the numbers were very elevated. <laughs> right, so, right. And he was he was anticipating after that first surgery for the numbers to I guess flatline, and they didn't do that after the first surgery. So that was his major, you know, inclination that the tumor was still there somewhere, but he was just searching around for it. Um, and then the CAT scan revealed that I had a few, well, actually several lymph nodes that were between my pelvic area and my chest that were kind of lighting up in his okay. words. And at that point. I'll, I'll never forget that appointment going back was, it was me, my mom, and my dad, we went back and we weren't anticipating to hear this information yet because yeah. we just came off the good news of the first surgery. So we told my dad, we're like, listen, just wait outside in the car. We'll be right <laughs> out. It'll be fine. There's like a, there's like a little <laughs> bakery next door to the hospital. So we're like, go get, you know, go get some pastries and we'll, we'll be right back out. And, you know, get me a chocolate chip cookie. That sounds great. <laughs> and then my mom and I go in there and the doctor who is like the most cool hand Luke person I ever met in my life, he comes in and he looks flustered. And I literally just looked at my mom. I said, Oh, geez, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be good. Um, but he basically just explained that, uh, you know, from his surgery, what he saw there and what the CAT scan shows and, and my tumor markers that, it looks like it's spread to other areas. Uh, and I was just really confused because I thought, and this, this is the time where I really felt like maybe I did this to myself because I noticed this in January and didn't speak up until February. And in discussing this with him, he said this, he explained to me how aggressive this tumor grows and spreads and how waiting even a short period of time can make it spread rapidly. And the fact that, it goes to your lymph nodes and your lymph nodes are everywhere. It, it can be pretty critical. Um, so just following that, he said, your options here are to do the RPLND. And it's just, you know, the incision between your pelvic and your chest area. And it's, he explained it as an explorative surgery where they're basically just going in and picking everywhere to see, you know, what they can take and what they can leave and what has the tumor cells on it. Uh, and that was like a, you know, way out of left field. I, I didn't, I've heard of this tremendous and monstrous surgery before, 
but I, I never wanted to Google things. So right. I never Googled anything during the whole process. But when he told me that this was the next step, I was like, oh my God, it, it, it's, it, it was just like, you know, hearing about something horrible that, that other people have gone through. And then he's telling you that this is the next step, but you really have no choice. You kind of just have to like, you know, put your helmet on and, and keep going forward. That's um, true. And so we scheduled that surgery for a couple weeks from that point. So then at least I was fortunate I had some time to prepare. Right. That's good. A couple of weeks. So, yeah. So I was able to go back to school and, um, you know, just, just wrap up some of my classes. And the hardest part there was telling my friends and, you know, my teachers that I was going to be out for a little while. And at this point it was already March, if my timeline is correct. And so there's only three or four months left of school. And this is like my semester. I'm supposed to be graduating and on I had a job lined up that I was supposed to start in August. Oh my. Okay. Wow. <laughs> oh, it was fun. It wouldn't be this exciting if, if I didn't have all those little <laughs> variables to it. But I, I had to tell I had to tell my job, I had to tell my recruiter, my teachers and, and my classmates. And uh, what I found was that the support that people poured through was just overwhelming. It was truly incredible. I had my teachers were giving me assignments and homeworks to, to, to do at home that I can do, you know, without being in the classroom. And, and they were really bending their, their capabilities for me. And, and I really appreciate that. And, and my friends too, I had friends that were doing all my classwork just because oh my, during my surgery wow. and, and recovering, I really didn't have much on me. And um, I can't even like begin to explain how amazing that was. People that like, I would, be hello and goodbye with or, or some of my best friends they'd be like what's your homework for the week just just give it to me and, and I'll get it done I had one friend that we were friends but we didn't really know each other so well but literally did my entire class project for for the semester and oh my yeah wow. it's, it, it, I'm so grateful for that and by the time I was ready to go into the to the surgery most of my classwork was done and I spoke to my my job and, and they delayed me for the year. So they said that I can take the year and go back later on. So I was extremely fortunate in that sense that I didn't have to worry about external factors and I was able to just isolate my focus onto this. Um, so then the day of the surgery, we, uh, we kind of just went into the hospital and I spoke to my doctor beforehand and he just quickly explained to me that it's going to be, you know, about four to five hours on the table and it'll probably be eight hours between like door to door, meaning, you know, you come in and then before you'll be in the, the PACU, I think they call it, or like the recovery room. Right, right. And uh, I was like, I, I always tried to keep things light because at this point I, I just, I really discovered more of the, uh, the testicular cancer foundations. And, and one of them was uh, Justin, I think you know him too from yes, my Justin, yeah. And he really shed the light on bringing humor to the situation. So I, I carried that with me through a lot of my journey. And so when the doctor told me that it's going to be, you know, four to five hours, but eight hours until the rec room. And I, I remember telling him, I was like, well, that doesn't really affect me, right? I'm going to be asleep. So I'll, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> but my mom, on the other hand, you need to have her on speed dial. <laughs> so by the time that everything was finished, you know, I had my whole family and I'm really fortunate that this wasn't during a time of COVID where you can't have anybody in the hospital. Yes. I had 
my entire like like troop over there my entire family was waiting for me and, and uh when i came out of the the surgery room and i went into the rec room i had like 30 of my my family and friends and, and cousins and whatnot just there waiting for me and that was really nice because the first thing you want to do is you want to see your family and, and especially my mom is just like let her know that you're okay yeah you're alive yes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i remember after my first surgery my i um when I woke up, they said, do you need anything? I was like, no, but you need to, you need to get my mom. They go, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm okay, but you need to tell me she's okay because <laughs> I need to know she's okay. Um, and after that, that, you know, the surgery was finished and then the, the real fun began where I, uh, I had, I think, an eight or nine day stint in the hospital where that recovery was just tremendous. <laughs> it is, it was, I know. It was a, a no eating, no drinking for the entire time. And uh, I've never felt like your organs are just squishy <laughs> inside of you. But, they, you know, they, they really prompt you to get up and start walking right away. And, um, you know, you're getting up and you're moving, but you have this major incision on your torso. So to move around and, and everything has been shifted in, inside of you, it's just the weirdest feeling in the world. And it's very easy to get caught up in all of that but um i have to say i had the best nursing staff and my personal support group you know consisting of my family especially like my mom my siblings and my girlfriend they were all you know really incredible and helping me push forward and we kept everything very positive and light we must have played uno about 15 times a day <laughs> by the time i left that hospital i was so sick of uno <laughs> but, funny anthony <laughs> I uh, I even shared a room with uh, with a guy that had a different type of surgery, but also in the same area. And he was just such a beacon of light. He started every day by saying, you know, let's make today a great day and let's get up and do laps. And, and he, no exaggeration, did probably 17 laps a day. Oh, and every my. time Every time he was getting up, he would come around to my side and drag me out. And we would just do laps the whole day. And he was so, so supportive. And it's incredible because in, a, in an environment where the setting would just, you know, naturally or maybe even stereotypically, you would think that this would be very morbid and sad because of the nature of what you're dealing with. But the amount of positivity that radiates through the hallways is, is incredible because people are, are given this new perspective and clarity. And I always kind of looked at it as like a cancer clarity where, you know, you're looking at this and this is a real issue. This isn't, you know, something that, that bothers you. This is something that is life or death. So you have to make the best of whatever situation you're in. And, and I tell you, everybody in that hallway did it every second of the day. Wow. You walk in the halls and, and you see another patient walking or you see another patient, you know, talking to the doctors and you just smile and wave and you say hello and, you know, you, you just let them know that you're thinking of them. And it was just so, so incredible. And uh, although the, the reason I was there was kind of sucky, the, uh, I was very happy that I got to experience that because meeting those people was, it was a, uh, you know, an experience that I'll never forget. And, and I try to keep that, that positivity with me really with whatever I do. Um, and then, you know, I, I finally got to be released from the hospital and the recovery was kind of just moving forward from there. Now I, I had my, 
I had the staples taken out. I was able to eat more solid foods. So I was, they put me on a, a five gram of fat diet for the next couple of weeks. Um, and that was nice because it's a big transition from ice chips. <laughs> so that yes. was exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, you know, I recovered and, and, and went about with everything as normal again. And, and yeah, that was a lot more severe than the first surgery given, uh, you know, everything entailing it. But I was excited that I was finished with it and thought that everything was behind me. Right. I definitely felt like this was the worst of it. <laughs> so I, I remember like telling my mom and telling my girlfriend that, you know, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm good. This is finished. This is over. I don't want anymore <laughs> because right. you hear the stories of like people say, uh, my family is very religious. So we always say like, God only gives you what you can handle. And I was at that point where like, I'm good handling now. Like I'm done. I've had enough. Stop, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm good now. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I went back to school and I, I was finishing out. At this point, I literally had like four weeks left and it was just coming up on graduation. And, and I was really fortunate, you know, to my roommate, especially because when I left the hospital from the RPLND, I had about a week or two until my graduation ceremony. And I was so nervous that I either failed the class because I didn't do the work or I wouldn't be able to walk because I physically couldn't right. walk. Um, but the amount of walking that, that my roommate and I did every day, it allowed me to build up the strength to actually go to Radio City and, and walk across the stage. And I couldn't you know, help, but I was like walking across and tears were like dripping on my robe. Oh. And my, my dean looked at me and I don't think he really knew what was going on, but he just saw I was a sobbing mess. He probably thought like, wow, this guy's really excited to graduate. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. You have no idea. <laughs> but that was, that was really awesome. I was so happy that I got to do that because I was very nervous I wouldn't be able to. But to be able to say that I went from that surgery to not being able to stand and walk and then being able to walk across the stage for my graduation was a really triumphant moment for me that I, I, I thank my cancer family for because without them, I, I wouldn't have been able to muster up the strength or really like the courage to do it because part of it is not being physically able and the other part of it is like, I don't want to see people after, you know, I just went through all that because I don't feel great and I don't, I don't want to have to explain everything and so I, I kind of just had to put that all aside and you just go and do it because it's something that you want to do and you don't want to say that you didn't do it. Right, um, right. And you make a good point about walking after that surgery because as hard as it is, it helps. I mean, it, oh, you, you, yeah. you, I just, you know, I've had abdominal surgery, C-section, but it's the same mm -hmm. thing. If you lie in bed and just think you can't do it, when yep. you finally try it, it's terrible. So I admire you for doing that, you and your roommate. So thank you. Yeah, it, it's that you. That's a great point. That's the thing they emphasized the most was walking, right? So every every day the nurses would come into the room and they'd be like, "Hey, you got to walk today," and I'm just like, "Hey, do I have to?" <laughs> because it's very painful. <laughs> yeah. And my doctor was very emphatic on no epidural, and I was because the guy the person I shared the room with, he had the epidural. So he was like up and moving and like ready to do jumping jacks. So he'd come around and be like, Hey, let's go do this. Let's go climb the stairs. And I'm like, I, it hurts when I breathe, man. Like, can we just take a minute? <laughs> oh, that's and, great. Uh, but it, like you said, it truly helps. And that 
definitely expedited my recovery because if, if you don't walk, they say that fluid can build up and, and maybe things don't okay. heal the proper way. So we did a lot of laps and a lot of the nights where I couldn't sleep, you know, it's like one, two o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, they're giving you medication to help the pain or to help you go to the bathroom and, uh, you're not, you're not falling asleep. You're, you're wide awake and your mind is racing. And I would literally just like peek over to my roommate and he's up too. And I'm like, Hey, I, I can't sleep. He goes, all right, let's go walk. And I'm like, Oh no, that's not, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I remember one night I, I couldn't sleep and, and my nurse came in and she gave me some pretty scary news that basically resulted in me saying like, you need to walk. Otherwise, we need to take you back in and, and open you up again. And I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. I don't like that. <laughs> wow. And so my roommate came back around because she was afraid of a bowel obstruction. Yeah. Because I wasn't able to use the bathroom. And my roommate came around after she left the room. He goes, get up. We're walking. <laughs> and we walked from like, that was literally at midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. And we walked from 1 a.m. till about 4 a.m. <gasps> Just nonstop. Anthony, you gosh. Nonstop. Wow. And oh. I, I guarantee you the medicine worked after that. <laughs> but if it wasn't for him, I, I don't, I wouldn't have had the, you know, the inner strength to say to myself right. to get up and do that. Right. And, and that's my point of the encouragement that the people around you give you there is just, you know, I, I've never felt that on the sidewalks in any street anywhere in the world, but in that little hallway on that one floor, it's, it's everywhere. It's just palpable and i'm really grateful for that um and i don't know if you have any questions or anything i don't want to like monopolize oh no no it's your story i want you to talk no i, I this is i mean the one thing i remember from the um blog post you wrote on uh mm -hmm. justin's um page was about they took out six was it 64 lymph nodes yeah uh, so, yeah yeah they took out the uh, they took out basically every lymph node that he can find <clears throat> between my pelvis and uh, like the lower okay. part of my chest, and it resulted in being at sixty four, and luckily only a few of them came back positive. Positive, right? okay. Um, but and, and uh, to give credit to my doctor and his surgery team, his surgical team, he. You know, that's a long time to be standing there and just ever so carefully just picking and picking. I don't know how he was able to do that, but it was incredible. And to pull out 64 of them, I was extremely grateful because if he pulled out any less, maybe the one that he left behind could have been positive. And right, that right. would have been a big issue. So after he gave me those results, you know, we went home and he said, we're just going to wait for the biopsy to come back. Cause at this point I didn't know the ones that came back positive. He had just told me he pulled out 64. Um, so I go home and, you know, I do the graduation walk and I'm just now recovering and, um, it's warmer out. So I'm able to walk around the block and, uh, my girlfriend and I, we would try to walk as much as possible. And it was, she was really amazing in this whole process. And, We'd been dating at that point, I want to say about four or five years, and same age as me. I was 23 mm. at, the, at the time, or 22, and just stood by me every step of the way, and she would always emphasize the point of that everything is going to be great. If mm -hmm. they tell you that you have to go through another surgery, fine. It's going to be great because you have, a, you have a step. You have a next process that's going to help you. 
And if they tell you that, you know, you're done and you don't have anything else to do, great, you're finished. You can, you can go on with it. So, and, and that, that positivity is really paramount in, in helping you go forward. And that's just how I needed to hear, you know, that's what I needed to hear to cope, you know, to kind of hear that everything's going to be okay. Cause reality already is heavy enough. So to have that positivity is, was really helpful. Um, so now the next month I go back for my follow-up and he, uh, you know, he told me that a few of the lymph nodes had come back positive and his result was that we're going to just wait because it was only a few of the, the lymph nodes. It wasn't a lot and they were really far. I think he said they were like closer to my back. Mm. And so he really couldn't reach to, to get those because it was more towards my spine. And um, I remember him telling me, he goes, the next step would be chemo, but because there's not that many lymph nodes affected, and he says, I haven't seen it growing because this was one of the ones that was there from the very beginning from the CAT scan. He said, you know, it hasn't changed so much. So he said, let's just leave it and we'll monitor it. Because he said at this point, uh, zero rounds of chemo is better than two and two rounds of chemo is better than four. And I'll never forget that sentence because I, it's like, you know, when somebody tells you something that is, is so significant, you like take it and you hold on to it for dear life. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, zero is better than two and two is better than four. Got it. I'm going to take that and <laughs> I'm going to go to the bank with that. And, um, you know, we went home and, and everything was okay for a few months. And then my, my scans go back and I have to do blood tests again. And my blood test number went from zero to 0. 0.2. Mm. And I was like, okay. Well, what does this mean? And the uh, the nurse tells me, she goes, you know what? Sometimes it's a mistake. The machine can sometimes be wrong. Um, the doctor wants to do one more blood test next week, and then we'll wait. And I was like, if this machine isn't wrong, I swear to geez, I'm going to be so mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like at that point, I started Googling. I'm like, how frequently can a machine be wrong <laughs> to yeah. test your blood? And we go back the next week, 0.2. 0.1. I was like, all right, great. We're, we're going down. We're going in the right direction. And now I think my doctor had become a little alarmed to it. So we're, we're repeating these blood tests pretty frequently, like every other day or if mm. not every week. And it went 0.2, 0.1. And then the next one went 0.5, mm. 0.7, 0.8. And we just watched it steadily grow. And this was all in the matter of like two weeks and I literally just remember saying to myself, like, I cannot believe this. This thing just does not go away and it doesn't quit. And I was, it was on in August, the first day of August, actually, it was my mom's birthday. And my doctor called me and he said, hey, listen, um, you know, we looked at your, your results and your scans and your blood tests are showing that you had another recurrence. And oh. technically this would be my second or third recurrence and he said that uh i know i told you that we didn't want to do any treatment and that zero was better than two but it looks like you're gonna have to do four rounds of chemo and i was just so you know drawn at that point and then he said we were to do four rounds it's gonna be monday through friday every day and then you'll do one week on two weeks off one week on two weeks off and you'll do that for about like four months and i 
you know, what are you supposed to say at that point? I just told my doctor like, Hey, thanks. <laughs> Have a yeah. good day. <laughs> oh, and, boy. Uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was probably the, the worst of it that I heard because when I heard the RPL and D it was like, you know, I only had that one surgery at that point. So I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I don't want anything else, but I, I, I feel like after the RPL and D and the organic, I was like, all right, I've seen the worst of it. I'm done. I don't want any more. And then to be told that you could have had zero rounds of treatment or you could have had two, but now you have to do four is oh. just, I, I remember telling my girlfriends and, and my girlfriend and my mom and the rest of my family that like, I don't, I really don't want to do this treatment because my body was just spent and emotionally I was spent. And uh, that's where, you know, the mental part of it really starts to kick in because you're just exhausted right? because there's so much that yeah. goes into you know, putting your head down and just going forward and, and not thinking about it, that you just become numb to everything. So you just have to do what's in front of you and get it over with. But the thought of doing the chemotherapy was, uh, it was a lot to wrap my head around. But, you know, it was one of those things, again, where you don't have the choice. You just, right. you know, you just buckle up and you go through it and you make the best of it. And that's just how I cope with everything as I try to make light of the situation and just, uh, you know, make the best of it. It's not the best situation that you want to be in, but there's something positive that you can pull out of anything. Um, and yeah, that, that was it. After that, I, uh, I went on that the next weekend I was sitting with my girlfriend and, and we, I was like, I need to just get out of here. I need to go somewhere and just get away from my house for a little bit. And that Thursday we booked a bus ticket the next day to go to DC and we took a bus down to DC and I, it was the best trip ever because it was spontaneous and it was such a, a nice release from everything. Um, and I saw a lot of really fantastic monuments and, and these, these pillars of our country that kind of led by example. And to think of a time period there where, you know, it, it's, kind of different where there was wars going around and, and people and true violence was happening. And to think about that and to say like, okay, you're not the only person that, that has to go through something so traumatic. There's always somebody that's going through something worse or somebody that, that has to go through something as well. So, and I remember uh, a point where I was doing a scan and I saw a little kid that was also doing a scan similar mm. to mine, but his was the MRI Mm -hmm. where they have to do your, your whole body and I think or like a PET scan. And he must have been like under 10. And oh, I'm thinking wow. in yeah. my head, like, I'm, I'm nervous and feeling bad for myself, but can you imagine how he feels right now? And so to keep that in mind and, and to just go forward and be like, I'm going to go through this and get this over with, but when I'm done, I'm going to use this to help somebody else because I can't just, I can't just go through this entire experience and feel like this was all for nothing because it wouldn't be worth it for me that I have to at least feel like, okay, I, I went through this to be able to share my story with other people and help them. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me feel good about, you know, what I had to do. And, and that was it before I knew it, I came back and then the next, I think the next day or two, I was you know, back at the hospital and doing treatment. And I did treatment from, I want to say like August to August to about November. Okay. Yep. And thankfully, that was the last step. Yep. 
That's a many steps, though, Anthony. So, wow, you're a very giving person, though, I can tell. Your positivity had to make a big, big difference on just getting through it. So, it, yeah, it was definitely instrumental, but it wasn't something that, um, you know, I could have done on my own. Right. I'm not like, it's not like you can sit by yourself and be like, I'm going to be uber positive today. It's just not going to happen. No, it's not. It, it's, it and comes, that's okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it comes from other people and it comes from people that have been in those shoes before you who could say like, listen, I've been through this. It's going to suck, but it's okay. And you're going to get through it. And, and this is how I got through it. And having those experiences and, and those conversations with people, some with the same diagnosis and some with other diagnoses was just, you know, really powerful. And that's what, what helped me move forward. What was your biggest challenge in all of this, that, you know, your journey of treatments? Do you have something that stands out, you know, that was made a, just a challenge for you? Yeah. Um, the biggest challenge during everything was, uh, I would probably say, aside from the timing of it all, right? It's just, it happens. And I always felt like this could have been the worst timing, but I don't think there's ever a good time to be told that you have cancer. But well, just that's the fact true. that, yeah. just the fact that you know you're you're going through those formative years where, you know, you're looking to get a job and you're looking to establish yourself, you know, professionally and personally, and 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 then it kind of throws everything for a loop. And then when you're done, you have to reassess and rebuild and start basically from scratch. That I always found to be pretty challenging. But more challenging during was just the, you know looking at your image of yourself and, and how everything can change yeah. so quickly. That was very tough, especially after, you know, after the orchiectomy things change, but it's, um, it felt really different after the RPL and D yeah. because your body is just, I, I always felt like it was hard to look in the mirror for a little while, but as time passes and you speak to more people who had it too, and, you come to grips with the fact like, hey, you know, I didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what would be a really good idea today? And RPL and D sounds great. And then we'll get sandwiches <laughs> after. It's just not the case. <laughs> so no, it's, it's not. It's, it's not something that you chose. So, you know, don't give it so much power over you to say like, oh my God, look what my body looks like. Look at what happened. It's just, you can't, you can't go into that, that mindset. Although it's, it's easy to do that. And, and you're, sometimes your mind wants to do that. You just have to remember, like, this isn't what I chose, so right. I'm not going to give it that much power to to control my mind and my day. So, and and that definitely takes time. That's not something that I was able to kind of come to grips with right after the surgery. Well, and I also think I wanted to comment on your location because, uh, as you mentioned earlier about using, um, you know, the ZocDoc platform, but also you were at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is, you know, one right. of the best in the country. So. Uh, I know a lot of people travel to go mm -hmm. there for testicular cancer. So I just think that that's um, uh, a nice Lucky, advantage. To, yeah. 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 It was def and, and to emphasize the point before with my doctor that I found on ZocDoc, I didn't have like a connection or a pull into Memorial Sloan Kettering. It was my doctor that I found randomly on ZocDoc that was like, hey, I know this doctor he does these surgeries more than anybody in the world. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. That's where you're going to go. Okay. And if I didn't choose this one doctor out of like the list of 700 of them, I might not have been able to get into Sloan. Not saying that I would have had a different result anywhere else, but 
I was extremely happy and fortunate that I got into Sloan because like you said, people travel everywhere to get to this place. And, and it, it is true, right? I remember being in the lobby and people with luggages and suitcases yeah. just waiting there. And you're like, wow, this is, this is not what you want to take your suitcase out for. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, now um, tell me about your, um, you're out now and I know you do a lot to raise awareness and give back, especially during uh, Movember. So tell mm-hmm. me about that. I, I was really fortunate that I, um, by the time November came around this past year, I was pretty removed from everything. So I had time to heal and I really wanted to find more ways to, to give back and to share my story. And that's always a process because the first time you share your story, it's, it's extremely tough, but the more you do it, the, like, the easier it becomes. And November was a really fantastic platform for me to be able to share my story and to share it not only to you know, help me become more comfortable with it and what has happened, but also to share it and help other people and actually raise money to, you know, create research and funding for this disease. And throughout the month of November, I was volunteering through them and, and I, uh, you know, I was just trying to think of ways to raise money to donate to the platform for the month. And a friend of mine, gave me this idea. I was like, well, why don't you leave jars on the counters of the local businesses? Since, you know, COVID was pretty hot at that point mm-hmm. and you couldn't, you know, go about and do volunteer events. He said, this is an easy way for people who go in and out to just leave some change and, and, and uh, you can collect money that way. And I was like, that's a really great idea. And so, you know, me, my girlfriend and my siblings, we, went out and got these jars and we cut holes in the tops and I created this like label that went on the front and it had two QR codes. So one QR code was a way you can donate online. And the other QR code was you scan it and it, you know, it loads up this page that has my story on it. And at the bottom of it, it had, you know, tips of how to check yourself and who to contact if you find something and and what the symptoms are that you need to look for and just, you know, key facts and statistics and things that basically like I wish I knew before uh, I guess I noticed I had an issue because if you if you know these these details about how quick it can grow or, or how easy it is to detect and just the simple idea of just saying, you know, I need to go speak to somebody to check this out, your process could be just an archaeectomy mm-hmm. done if that is the case, right? Instead of going through the whole you know, the whole nine rounds down the entire stretch. Uh, and that's something that I really focused on during my, my outreach for that month was, you know, if you, if you see something or you feel something, speak up, speak up right away because it, it is a big difference that a week or two weeks can make. And that's something that I really wish I did because who knows what that, that path, how it could have been different. Um, and in doing so, I, I would give out these jars to these businesses and I would speak to the, you know, if the owners were there or if whoever was working there and I'd share my story with them. And it was a really positive and uplifting experience to kind of reach out to your community to help a really, you know, I, I would say powerful cause. And I, I met so many fantastic people there. And one of my, my favorites was a diner that I that's in my local area here and I used to go there after every week that I finished treatment and I really enjoyed going there because their food was like 
simple, but it was so delicious. And it was a quiet environment where mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't feel like judged because I didn't have eyebrows. <laughs> and, right. And when I went back there and I, and I shared my story with them and I told them what I was doing, the lady there, she goes, oh, I, I remember when you'd come here every time and you'd always order the same thing. And she's like, I'm really happy to see you're doing better. And it was just nice to, to get that family feel. And it, and it just really brought out a feeling of connection. It, and it just grows your, your cancer family even more, right? It's, it's not a matter of, oh, you need to have cancer too. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't just affect people who are diagnosed. It affects your caregivers, the people who, who yes. love you and support you, the people who just see you on the sidewalk. And, and that is really you know em- uh, emphasized when you put that page up there and you have people donating from everywhere that some you've met and some you've never met before, right. Right. but they just believe in, in that good cause. And uh, you know, that, that was the whole purpose of the Mojar initiative. And throughout that month, I posted on my social media page, just, you know, quite like basically FAQs of testicular cancer and, and, and uh, what to look out for. And you don't get a huge response back because it's not like the sexiest topic. Yeah. But uh, I could definitely tell or when people come back every once in a while and they say like, you know, thank you for sharing that because I, you know, I checked myself or, or, you know, somebody I know was affected by this. And, and that's what it's all about is just starting that conversation. And it doesn't have to be for you in that particular time. It could be for somebody you know. But just knowing that that advice and that help is out there, is, it was really instrumental for me. So I just wanted to pass that along. That's a wonderful way to do it because it's a, a local outreach, and it, but it mm-hmm. makes a difference. Like you said, you don't know uh, until you hear from people. And sometimes you never hear, but you know somebody's been positively affected by that. So that's wonderful. Yep, yeah. yep absolutely. Um, so I, I also know you were working with some of the local journalists. I think I read that too about um, just different people who were able to share your story. Is that right? Yeah, I I was very fortunate that, you know, in sharing my story and, and the more you put yourself out there, uh, the more people that come about and, and they want to help or they want to help you put your story out there. And, and it can get uncomfortable at times, right? Because you're talking about something extremely sensitive. Um, and, but I always try to remember, like, when you're doing this, you're doing this for you know, to help somebody. And if somebody reads your story and let's say they're affected by it or somebody they know is affected by it, they could say like, Hey, you know what? I know somebody that, that had to go through this. And, and the whole point is to be able to reach back out and to, to help that person Sweet. who's climbing up those steps that you were trying to climb up at that yes. point too. And that's, that's the, the main thing. And that's what really, you know, it puts a blanket over that fear or that embarrassment or, you know, like, oh my God, look at what I look like now, or I can't believe I have to go through this. The idea of being able to help somebody who has to go through it now, it it surpasses all those, you know, fearful emotions. Um, so I was able to to share my story with a few with a few newspaper outlets, and and they were all just extremely, you know, caring and, and uh, I, I would guess emotional about it in the sense that everybody's been touched by this disease in, in some way, shape or form. And to, to, to see the outreach that people are doing, like, you know, to give back or to, to help out or to raise money or to sh- share your story to help somebody else. It's just really nice to see that, you know, people can come together mm-hmm. for one effort, even though it's not like 
it's not written on somebody's face that they've gone through something. But when you start talking to them about it, you're like, wow, you know, more people than you think are actually affected by this and right. to connect like that and to and to come together to to help somebody is really you know incredible just like what you're doing now it's to come together and be able to work towards that one same goal of, of helping somebody else there's no there's no better feeling than that no you're right anthony <clears throat> you really are that's a very good point um and i like i like doing this too it's my way to give back because of back so mm-hmm. um but tell me now let's you're you're good. You're cancer free. What are you doing now? Just your career or anything you want to share? Thankfully, thankfully, I'm I'm cancer free now. They actually, when I finished up my uh, my chemotherapy, they told me that I was considered to be cured because mm. of my um, percentage of clearance, something like that. I, I again, not medically knowledgeable at all, but he gave me a good percentage. He said like ninety seven percent of it is removed, or ninety something like that. And I was like, I will take that and I'll take yes. that to the bank this time. <laughs> and uh, so when he told me that, he said, you can actually be considered to be cured instead of uh, in remission. And I was extremely, extremely grateful for that news. And I, I would I would be lying if I had said, like, you know, after that, you go home and you're like, ah, oh, you know, like you just took a clean shower, like everything is gone. It's not, you know, everything is still there. You still feel the emotions and, and you still feel it to this day. And not every day is great. But uh, as time goes by and you start to move on with everything, it makes it better and, and you find ways to deal. You know, like I said, my way of dealing is, is helping other people. Other people's way of dealing is just being like, listen, this happened. It's, it's behind me now. I'm just going to move forward with it. And that's how you get like that clean shower feeling where it's just right. thankfully everything has, has moved on. So I, I'm working towards that and um, – and and you allowing me to share my story on your podcast is definitely aiding to that clearing feeling. So I really thank you for that. And um, uh, going further, it's just now I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm able to work now. Thankfully, I started a new job that uh, you know, I, I'm working on my professional career where I get to stay in accounting and, and do what I'm passionate about. But it also affords me the time and the ability to focus on my volunteer efforts and to, you know, think of ways that I can help people there or find new ways to share my story. Um, and I'm just really happy to be able to have that experience and say that I went through this and now I can take that and help somebody else. Because if I didn't have that experience, let's say, if I was never diagnosed or I never had to go through what I had to go through, who knows if I would have even known this disease existed. Right. And that's why I don't want to just let it, you know, slide behind me because I have to feel like, okay, this happened for a reason. So right. what's the reason I'm gonna make of it? And and just going forward and, and, and helping people is is that reason for me. But and now we have April coming up for testicular cancer awareness month. So now I'm thinking of new ways that I can, you know, help out and, and raise money for that too. So that's, oh that's a good right reminder. Now, exciting yeah. Time. yeah. yeah. So my last question is, what would you, uh, what advice would you give to young men who think they have testicular cancer or maybe are going through treatment? Any advice you have for them? Sure. Um, I would say, so breaking it out into two, right? So the advice I would give to somebody who thinks they have testicular cancer, the first thing I would say is go and get it checked out immediately. Don't wait. The, the harm is in the waiting. Right, because if you find something small, 
you know, if you find a tiny lump on your testicle and it's in those early stages, getting it checked out right away and getting it removed right away, that is, you know, instrumental in your in the path of potentially having testicular cancer and being done with it just as quick as you found it. Uh, also, don't Google anything <laughs> because <laughs> you could just have back pain and they'll be like, you have the worst type of cancer. It's like, just yes. go to a doctor and let the doctor inform you. Don't let Google inform you. Um, so that's the advice I would give to somebody who, who, let's say, has found a lump on their testicle. I would say go find a urologist and, and get it checked out immediately. Don't wait on that. Uh, the second part is for somebody who's going through treatment. I would say to just you know keep plowing forward. You're you're going through this process, but the the physical pain and even the mental pain is all temporary. That doesn't last forever. So whatever situation that you're in, it seems horrible right now, not for no reason because it's not the best situation, but it doesn't last forever. At some point, it'll pass one way or another. So you just have to keep moving forward and. and Make the best of it. So making the best of it is by, you know, bringing your Nintendo Switch and, and just distracting yourself from the situation and, and just getting on with it, do it. If, if, this, if making the best of it is by, you know, talking to the nurses and, and just asking them the silliest questions like what's your favorite lunch or what's your favorite cereal, do it. It's, it's however you need to deal. So to just be selfish in that moment when you're allowed to be selfish, to get through what you have to get through, take advantage of that because it definitely helps. And uh, I can definitely attest that I drove the nurses crazy at my treatment center <laughs> because I would just ask them the silliest questions. And by the time I finished, like I knew their favorite lunch, I knew their favorite cereal. I knew where their <laughs> brothers went to school. And it was just, it was just how I dealt right. just by like talking and, and uh, you know, having a conversation to distract myself. So I would say for people going through treatment, just, Find what you need to help distract yourself and stay positive and be selfish and just get through it because it doesn't last forever. So going through it, making the best of it, and just remembering that it's all temporary. You know, I like your advice on putting yourself first, being selfish. What do you need to mm -hmm. get through it? And I think that's a really good uh, piece of advice. And it's also a good way, I think, to kind of – finalize end our podcast so um i really appreciate all the time you spent anthony this was quite interesting and very helpful i think at least to me i learned a lot just listening to you so thank you thanks for thank all you're you doing really, you know i appreciate you having me on your podcast and i again i cannot thank you for enough for what you're doing too and, and sharing your stories and, and bringing a bringing a spotlight to these types of stories it it helps people who are going through it now I would think, and, and I really think you're doing a fantastic job with it. Well, thank you. We're team approach with all the people out there trying to help. So <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, I hope maybe down the road you can come back and maybe there'll Absolutely. be an update or whatever. So thank Sounds you. Sounds great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today on Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer from the Max Mallory Foundation. We have a website and it's at maxmalloryfoundation.com where you can learn more about testicular cancer, donate, and also send your ideas for guests on the podcast. And for spelling, Mallory is M-A-L-L-O-R-Y. Please join me next time for Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer.